Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I've got to tell you how this week's guest came about. Last week, I was in Maryland speaking at the National Day of Prayer. And the evening before, the morning of the Day of Prayer, I spoke at a, uh, at a rally. There was a bunch of churches that came together. And anyway, I had walked off the platform and was kind of walking among the people. And there was a guy, I, I did not know him, we had never met. I think he was on the second or third row, and um, I, I don't know. There was something I, something about him that, that caught my attention. And anyway, I, I wanted to use a Bible as an illustration of something I was saying. And not having known this man, I just took the Bible from his lap and held up his Bible. But again, we had not met. Well, the next morning when I spoke at the National Day of Prayer, he walked over to me. And, of course, I immediately recognized him from the night before, and we didn't have a chance to talk very long, but we had a chance to talk long enough. Matter of fact, my daughter, two, two of our staff were with us, and my daughter was one of them. And I heard just enough of his story that I was immediately, I, I was just, it, it, I was amazed by it. And so I told him, I said, listen, uh, man, I'd love to get to know you. I really want to hear more of your story. I, I didn't have a chance to listen to it then because I was about to get up to speak at the National Day of Prayer. And my daughter, who had heard enough of it, said, Jay, he would be an incredible guest for a podcast. And so anyway, after the National Day of Prayer was over, uh, he did come up to me. We had a chance to talk, and it just became obvious that we needed to have him on our podcast. He's got a really unique story, and I don't want to spill it. So I just want to welcome David Hill. So glad to have you on the podcast today and so glad to have met you last week in Maryland. Man, thank you for inviting me, man. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's it's great to have you on. And, of course, we you and I had a chance before we got on the podcast to talk briefly. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to really be amazed by your story. I think there's going to be people who relate to your story some yeah. in a literal sense and some in a figurative sense. But let's just start off here, David. Tell our listeners a little bit about just the beginning, about how you grew up, where you grew up, uh, a little bit about your family, your upbringing, just to kind of let people know a little bit about where you come from. Well, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. I grew up all my life. My mother, she was a single mom. I had no brothers and sisters. One thing, my mother, she didn't have a lot. But one thing she gave me was Jesus Christ. She kept me in the church at a young age, and that's all I could re- even remember as a young as a young child that I stayed in the church all the time. I was preaching at the age of ten years old. I had evangelists and and all kinds of pastors and and laypersons coming to tell me what a great man of God I would be when I grow up. But I also realized that the devil also hears that, and he wants to just try to take you off course and. And in the long run, he did, but he didn't get the victory. Now, you didn't mention your father. Did you not grow up with your father, David? Yes. Well, my, oh, yes. My mother died at 32 when I was 10 years old, going to 11. So I went to live with my father, and my father, he was married, and he had a my, step, my stepmother. She was a devout Christian also. So God always 
put a mother figure in my life to help lead God and direct me according to his ways. Uh, so I've seen her do a lot of, a lot of Christian things. And you, you said your mother was 32. How old were you, David? Did you say when your mother passed? I was 10 going on 11. Man, that's gotta be, I mean, I can't imagine my mom's still living, but to be 10, 11 years of age and your mom dies, I mean, that's gotta be just a whirlwind in and of itself. Especially, especially Jay, when you don't have anybody else there and it was just you and her. Uh, so when she left, that was my best friend. It, it was so, it, I fainted at the, at the funeral. I tried to snatch her out of the, out of the coffin. Wow. Wow. Now you mentioned that you went from there and moved in with your father. Did you have a good relationship with your father or was this another huge adjustment? I'm a dad. He was pretty, you know what I mean? He was a dad, dad. He was, he was a man, you know what I mean? He taught me man things. I watched him and I emulated him because he does, he, and he taught me how to work. He didn't let me sit around or lay around. He gave me good work ethics. You know what I mean? He made sure I was doing something. Yeah. My dad was cool. Yeah. Well, you, and every, I'm sorry. You, you mentioned you grew up in a Christian home. So you obviously came to Christ at an early age. When your mom passed, did you go through a season where you were bitter at God, or, or did you just accept it that, you know, hey, this is life? Yeah, I never was mad at God about that. I mean, he had already put his spirit in me, so I wasn't mad about that. But I was just, I was so glad that, you know, he didn't leave me out to dry. And he and he brought my father back in my life. And my father, you know what I mean, he adjusted everything. He, he kept my stepmother from working, you know what I mean, so she can take care of me. And he just he just did he did manly things, you understand? And he he was a good man. Right, right. So you're living with your father. You're about eleven years of age at this time. You move back in with your father. Obviously he sounds like a good man and a good influence on you. And then mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, then something happens with your father. Tell us about that and then about what age are you when that begins to unfold? Oh, I was about 24 years old. I had moved out, you know, and I had my own place and stuff. So one night I'm I'm laying in the bed and I'm, I'm sleeping and something woke me up. And when I woke up, the phone rang. And when the phone rang, it was my stepmother. My stepmother said, you better hurry up and get down here. I, your father's dead. And I, I got in my car and I ran down there and they, the ambulance and the people were taking him down the steps. And, you know, I know he was gone. That was my best friend. I start spiraling down to nothing. Then you know, I start trying to trying to fill a void. You know, what I mean, of that love that I once had with my mother and my father. And I start reaching out to different things. I start hanging with the wrong crowds. I start dipping and dabbing with alcohol and 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 weed and stuff like that. Had you stayed? You know, you mentioned you were around twenty four when your father passed. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I mean, I know we talked earlier, you, you were excelled in athletics, you were offered scholarships. It sounds like that you stayed on the right track for the most part up until your father died. Is that correct? Yes. You know, I was a three-sport athlete. I played baseball, basketball, I ran track, played football too. Uh, but the thing is, you understand, I, I, was, I was good at all of those things. And I had scholarships to go to five different universities, but I chose to go in the military, and I stayed in the military for three years. I already had an alcohol problem that led to the, 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 the marijuana problem that led to other things, you know what I mean, cocaine and heroin and everything else I could probably get my hands on. Yeah, you know, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about the influence that, you know, you got to hang in with the wrong people. And it reminds yeah. me, a couple of scriptures I memorized years ago. One of them is 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three, 
and I've talked so much about this when I talk to young people, but it says evil communications corrupts good manners. Right. And, and there's right. a, another verse that I memorized years ago. It's I think it's Proverbs 13, 20, if I remember correct, but it says, he that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And it That's sounds right. like, as I've been telling students literally for years, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Who you hang Amen. with today is who you're going to be tomorrow. And it sounds like, Somewhere along the line, was it more so when you got in the military, or did it happen before that, where you found yourself running well, with the wrong crowd? I was just running, even on you know before I even got in the military, I, I seen myself hanging with the wrong crowd. Bad company do ruin good character. I'm telling you, and, and those kids that are out there, these pick and choose your friends wisely. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I'm gonna tell you that much. Uh, uh, the thing is, you know, what I mean, yeah, Jay, I started hanging with the wrong people. This was so amazing because. You know, you know, what I mean, that God is still with you even in the midst of all that darkness. I always loved the Lord. I always, even when I went by churches in my highest stage, I went by churches and I heard music and it, it attracted me, but I wouldn't go in. You understand? He was trying to call me, send people to me, strangers, perfect strangers. I was in crack houses and, and dope houses and he would send people in there to tell me I didn't belong in there. And I still tried to fit myself into a piece of puzzle that I didn't supposed to be in. And that was my biggest problem. Wow, man. Well, you know, like you say, God is always calling, but the enemy does too. And, you know, you had that foundation. You you had those seeds that were planted in you when you were a young boy. But sometimes the pull of the world is, and the pull of the enemy can, can get us off track. And so obviously that was what was going on in your life. And then if I understand correctly, when your father passed, that kind of took things to a new level. Is that right? Yes, sir. I mean, I, I spot, that was my best friend. I start spiraling down, you know what I mean, to nothing. I, but the thing is, my father, before he even died, he told me when I got out of the military, I was running around partying in 18 months, and he said, look, man, you going to get a job? I said, yeah, let me go out here and get a job. So I went down to the post office, and I applied for that, and I got that job. I was the youngest, youngest letter carrier in, in, in Baltimore at that particular time, and I also scored the highest on that test. The thing is, uh, I was still in my mess, you know. I took that job because I was I was indulging. And I was, I was an athlete, so it takes you like five hours to do a route. It would only take me two and a half hours. I'd knock that whole route out, and then I'd have stuff to do for myself. You hear what I'm saying? And that's was my biggest problem, you know? And people love me because I make sure you check with one time. You, know, you ain't got to worry about that. Here right. he comes. Yeah, so, yeah. But you you dove headfirst into the drug world, and so yeah, uh, yeah, that, my that dad, was, yeah, that was having a big that was a big that was a big that was a big that was a big hurt right there. Yeah, yeah. So what happens from there? So you've your father's passed, and so there'd already been a pull from the world, and and now you've you've gotten in the deep end, and so okay. that, that, what what happens from there? So you know, what I mean, being that I was on drugs, and I mean, even at the post office, you know, I lost my job and not coming to work, you know, what I mean, and just doing crazy stuff. So I lost that job. Then I didn't have a job at all. So I just started you know, I mean, trying to sell drugs and trying to uh, uh, keep up with my habit. And you know, that led to all kinds of craziness. I don't fights and, you know what I mean, stupid stuff uh, in the streets. So then one day, you know, I was coming home from a drug deal and I'm getting ready to go up my steps. It was raining. It was dark. And I'm getting ready to go up my steps. And something said, turn to the right. And when I turned to the right, I seen a brilliant light, a flash. And I see also seen two guys coming from behind this tree that I had in front of my house. And what God had did at that particular time, he slowed them down just enough for me to turn to run. 
because I didn't have any weapons on me and I seen a gun in their hands. So the thing is, when they brought the gun up to shoot at me, I was already in the, in the turn mode and it shot me in my chest and I fell to the ground. And then the guy stood over top of me and he put the barrel right at my face and he pulled the trigger. And I seen the flames come out that, that, that barrel. And the thing is, you understand, I got up and they were amazed that I was getting up because they thought they killed me. So I get up off the ground and they run and, and I'm trying, I'm ch about to chase them and they're running. And so the thing is, I got in the house and my girl said, my girlfriend at that particular time, she said, somebody got shot. And I said, I got shot and blood squirting out my chest. And it takes the ambulance in Baltimore to come like 30 minutes. So particular time, this ambulance, he's already at my door, picking me up, carrying me to the hospital. Um, I'm telling you, God sent an angel that night. He sent an angel to deflect that bullet because when I looked to see where the other bullet was at, where the other, because I know I got shot in my chest, but I'm looking for the other, where, where, where's the other one? So I look at my pants leg and it went through my sweatpants, right through my, didn't even touch my leg. Wow. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Did you know these guys or, or did you no. know then or do you know now why they shot no. you? No. Do you it think was it was a robbery or what's your guess on that? I mean, they, they didn't. One day, didn't they just walked up to shoot? They didn't even you know, ask for no money or nothing. It was just like you out of here. Wow. You, do you think it was gang inspired, or, or I mean, is it all just? I a don't guess? think so. I don't think. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I just know. You know, I mean, the devil tried to take me out. Yeah. And okay. God sent an angel. Wow. So you get shot. The the ambulance. That, you know, forever showing up. As the old mm -hmm. Flavor Flav song, nine one one's a joke in your town. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but so, this particular time, it wasn't no joke. He came and swooped me up. <laughs> so he swooped me up, carried me to the hospital. So I go to the hospital. So the first thing the doctor tell me, he said, Mr. Hill, let me tell you something. If your chest wouldn't have been as big as it is tonight, you'd be dead. That's the first thing he told me. So my mind, my criminal mind, I just want to get out of it because I know the police are going to investigate the shooting. So I'm trying to get out, trying to get out, you know, trying to get out and so he, they, they, they cleaned me up, you know, they, they stitched me up and did whatever they had to do. So I'm putting on my clothes and they had left the room. I'm picking on my clothes and I'm trying to, I'm getting ready to get out of there. So a little old lady walked up to my door. She had on old garments. She had on old shoes. She had on an old church hat and she had an old umbrella because it was raining outside. And she looked in there and she said, these three, she said, look, God was with you tonight. And that's all she said. She said those words and she walked away. I don't know who she was, never seen it before, but I know that God sent somebody to stop at my room out of all the people in that hospital to tell me personally that he was with me tonight. So when she tells you this, again, as somebody that you don't know, you've never seen her, as you explained to me earlier, the, the gunshot had literally went right through your side and just to pass through. So they kind of stitched you up. Of course, most people mm -hmm. aren't eager to get out of the hospital like you were, but when this lady makes that statement to you, I mean, what, what impact does that have on you? Do you immediately recognize that this is kind of a direct word from God or do you think this woman's crazy? I mean, what's going through your mind when you hear that? Yeah, I, I knew God had sent the word, but when, when you're in your mess, when you're in your dark state, you know what I mean, and you, you're doing what you want to do and doing your own thing, you know what I mean, that means nothing until you're delivered. Yeah. And then you can look back and say, wow, God sent an angel. Wow. Man, that's unbelievable. So you, you leave the hospital that night, and this woman who you believe God sent, you know, to give you this word is a reminder of 
the foundation that your mother set when you were a boy? Did you make a decision that night? Hey, listen, I've got to, I've got to get back on track. I've got to start serving God. I've got to quit serving the enemy. What happens when you leave the hospital? I mean, do you get back on track, or are you still kind of struggling back and forth, or what? Still struggling. As a matter of fact, that struggle became even real, you know what I'm saying, because uh, I went out there, you know what I mean, and I was saying to myself, I'm not going to ever get in this predicament no more. Ain't nobody ever going to walk up on me no more with no gun. So what I did, I started buying guns, and I started trying to get every gun I can possibly have. And then this one particular gun, the guy came up to me, and this gun looked like it was brand new, a 38 Smith & Wesson. I was like, oh, my, this is an awesome gun right here. I didn't ask them no questions about it because most of the time I ask people, I mean, what's up with this gun? You know what I mean? Been in anything, they'd be like, no, it's all right. And this particular time, I didn't even ask the question. It would just look like it was just brand new gun. And I wanted it, you understand? And I paid like $125 for it, and he gave it to me. So, That's you know a heck I mean? of a deal on that gun, by the way. But go you ahead. Believe it. He make it look good. See, the devil don't give you nothing ugly. Now, he wants you to get it because he's setting you up. Yeah, man. I didn't know the setup. <laughs> yeah, he, not only that, but he's open 24-7, 365. And yeah. the truth of it is, a lot of people don't recognize it, David, but – Man, the devil's always doing business. And the truth of yes, it is, is, if you'll sell out cheap, he'll sell cheap. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And the thing is, you know what I mean? I wanted it, you know what I mean? The lust of my flesh wanted that gun. And our boy. And didn't know, you know what I mean, the consequences of that gun. So, you know what I mean? Then I was living with my, my, my fiance. She was my fiance at that particular time. So, the thing is, her sister got in a little trouble. She was a crackhead. And the thing is, she got lost a place and she had to, and my sister let her come live with us. So I, I agreed with it. I think that was one of the, it could have been one of the worst thing in my life, but it could have been one of the, the a blessing in disguise. So the thing is, you know, I let her come in and I was supplying her with drugs and stuff like that. Until one day we had an argument she made, she made me mad and I cut her off. I stopped I mean, giving the things and she got mad with me and she went and called the police on me and told me that I had drugs and guns in the house and things that nature. So the police came, knocked my door down, scared my children. <laughs> uh, came in and arrested me, took me down to the station and I was sitting in the bullpen and then one of the officers came down with an attorney, an attorney now and he said, Mr. Hill, he said they charged him with first degree murder. I said, first degree murder? He said, yes, first degree murder. I said, for what? He said, the gun that you had, the 38 Smith & Wesson with the walnut handle has a murder on it. Mm, wow. And you talking about somebody hot hit the floor. And I was like, I didn't do it. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. And they didn't want to hear that. They was just trying to close a case. They had the weapon. They had a man, you know what I mean? With the weapon. And that's a closed case. And anytime in Baltimore, Maryland, that you get charged with first degree murder and you found guilty of first degree murder, that's life with no parole. And you're how old at this time, David? I'm like 27, about yeah. 20, 26, 27. Got your whole life ahead of you, and now you're facing life in prison. Yes, sir. Jeez. So what happens from there? From there, I, went, I told my attorney came down and gave me an attorney. I got an attorney, and he came down and told me, said, look, if the state is offering you 30 years. You can get this and, and run with that. Because if you go to trial and they find you guilty, you're going to get life. And I was like, man, I didn't do this. I'm going to trial. Let's go to trial. And we went to trial. And I lost. I was found guilty of first-degree murder, use of a handgun, which faces life with no parole. 
plus 10 years for the handgun. So when the judge sentenced me, he said, Mr. Hill, stand up for me. He said, man, let me tell you something. I don't know what happened to you. He said, you was an athlete. He said, you've been in the military. You've been with the post office. On a roll. He said, you were on a roll, excellent roll. What happened? And I'm saying to myself as I'm looking at him that little did he know that Satan was trying to destroy me. He was trying to take me out numerous times. Times that I didn't even know that he was trying to take me out, God was protecting me on them streets. And so the thing is, you know what I mean? He sent me, he said, Mr. Hill, I sentenced you well, hang on, to hang life. On, hang on, before you say that, what yeah. what did you say when the judge asked you, Mr. Hill, what went I, wrong? I mean, did you give an answer? I, I, I couldn't give an answer, Jay. Wow. But I knew, I knew, you know what I mean? And if I, see, I didn't want to say what I wanted to say because they probably wouldn't even receive it. Yeah. But I received it. I know why I was there. Are I you, was there. Are, are I you, was there for two reasons. I was there that God wanted to spare my life, and the devil was trying to destroy me. And he took me out of an environment that was destroying my life, and he had to put me in a place where he can get my undivided attention. You didn't see that at the time, though, did you? I mean, no, you, no. Yeah. I've heard a but lot then, of inmates tell me that me, when I've been in prisons have said, Jay, yeah. as much as I hate being here, it's the best thing that ever happened because had I not get thrown in prison, I'd been be dead. Yeah, I'd be dead. Yeah. And let me tell you something, Jay. And let me tell you when I recognized it, when, when the judge and I said, I give you life. And then he said, all suspended for 30 years. What does that mean? That means that you got a life sentence, but you only gonna have to do 30 on this. And then you can, you can roll out. Which is basically so you don't you don't have a life sentence. He suspended the life. Yeah. And he gave me all but thirty years. So he gave me a number. If he wouldn't have gave me that number, I'll still be in prison right now. You know, but still, man, being twenty year in your late twenties, mid to late twenties, and finding out you're facing thirty years. Yeah. I mean, basically, that is your life. You know, that's the prime and, of your but, life. Let me anyway. tell you, and most people would think that, but you know what I thought? You know, what I mean, this is when I realized that it was God that he left a, a, a open for me, that he wouldn't have left probably, you know what I mean? He left an open for me to let me know that if you straighten up, you got a chance. If you get your life together, you got a chance. You see, if that life would have remained a life, I wouldn't have had that chance. So he left a glimpse of hope for me, Jay. And I used that hope. When I got down to that bullpen, there wasn't nobody in the bullpen downstairs. And the officer put me in there, took the handcuffs off and the shackles off my feet. And I went into that bullpen. And then when I got there, I seen a Bible. And I picked that Bible up. And this is what I said. I said, Lord, I know it was you that put me here. I said, I know I've been wrong out there. I repent of every sin that I committed. I said, I rededicate my life to you. And this Bible that I have in my hand, I'm going to read this for the rest of my life. I'm not going to miss one day reading this word. That's been 30 plus years ago, Jay. And I've never missed one day reading God's word wow. because of that little grace that he blessed me with. That, that little hope that he gave me. You understand? Because most people don't get that hope. Yeah, but when man, they give you- yeah, I get that. But still, the, the thing that I, I struggle with is... You do have this recognition that, okay, 
this is God sparing me because otherwise I'd probably end up dead. But at the same time, I'm facing 30 years for something I didn't do. I mean, there's got to be some anger and resentment and bitterness that the system has found you guilty of something that you didn't do. So isn't there a paradox where on one side you're going, hey, I understand that, that God allowed this to save me from from dying, but at the same time, an anger, an absolute livid response that I'm found guilty of something I didn't do. Did you not have that as well? I had that, you know what I mean, not for what God had did. I had that for the person, I mean, that snitched on me, the person, my, my, my sister-in-law, I want to say. I had that resentment. I had that anger for because it took me like seven years to even say her name. But and you, then one day, Jake, but look, let me tell you, look, I got to I got to set it up. I got to set this up. You understand? Because when I went into prison, you understand what I'm saying? When I told God that I became the modern day Joseph, he began to show favor towards me. I had the assistant warden, the warden, the chief of security used to come to me for wisdom. I had I had them that, that when they made decisions, sometimes they come to me and ask me, what did I think about that? I had favor in prison. I seen drug addicts in prison. I mean, leave the drugs alone. I seen gang members throw their flags down and say, I want to be a Christian. I seen Muslims convert their ways to Christianity. And they used me to do that. I was a light shining in the midst of all that darkness. And still today, when I see officers on the street, they hug me, they love on me, and I love on them back because God showed me that he can transform and change any man. I don't care how far you've fallen. You can get back up, keep your eyes on the Lord, and keep on moving. He wants to bless you. Man, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't change a thing, Jay, because I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be the person I am today. I just wouldn't be. It's just so hard for me to wrap my mind around that, I, I mean, I, I know you said earlier when we were talking before we got on the podcast that you mm-hmm. weren't you weren't a choir boy. You, you did wrong, but you didn't kill anybody. And it's just hard for yeah. me to wrap my mind around that you were able it's to just, accept that, hey, yeah. God allowed me to come here, but still yeah. not, not being angry and not being full of hate that you were found no. guilty of something. And not only nope. that, but I'm going to be carrying a criminal record as a felon the rest of my life for something nope. I didn't do. I'm just like Paul, you know what I mean, who was converted. I mean, Saul converted to Paul, you understand? He still had a lot of things he'd done and was carrying it around probably. But, you know what I mean, he had, God has shown him some grace. God has shown him some mercy, you understand? And when God showed me that grace and mercy, that was one of my favorite songs. And he also showed me my gift in there, you understand? Because I can sing, Jay. I've never, I mean, no, I could sing till I got to prison and I sung my first song in there. David, and now I'm singing all over the place. You're a better man than me. I, I, brother, I just don't know. I mean, it, it's amazing to me, and it's awesome that you were able to see the good in this and that you were able to capitalize on it. You were able to take the worst of circumstances where you're accused of something that you didn't do, and you're still able to thank God. Did that take a while? Because it's just, again, it, I, it's almost impossible for me I to think. I accepted it. I I accepted it. See, when I said I was preaching at the age of 10, I loved Jesus. Jesus was my friend. He was my only friend, Jay. I remember playing downstairs in the basement at my father's house, you know what I mean, by myself with my little G.I. Joes and little Tonka trucks and stuff. And I'm holding conversations with Jesus. And one day I remember this very, you know what I mean, clearly. I said, Jesus, 
you have something special for me to do. I don't know what it is. That's the kind of conversation that I had at a young age. See, my mother, she 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 gave me something that no other, I mean, I, I wouldn't you couldn't even pay for it. She gave me a friend that I would have to depend on through my struggles. She gave me a friend that I know that I can count on, you understand, when I can't count on nobody else. She gave me a friend, and I had to encourage myself like David in there. Sometimes I didn't have anybody to come and encourage me, but I was still pouring out into everybody around there. At one time, one of the biggest gang members came to me one day, said, Dave, Brother Dave, I need to speak to you. And I said, what's up, man? He said, I need to speak to you in private. So I said, okay, let me sit myself by the end of the cell, man. I mean, I'm asking to leave so I can talk to you. So when I get there, myself, buddy, in the cell, I said, man, my main man want to talk to me for a minute. And he seen who it was. He ran up out of there. Because this guy now, I mean, he got 300 guys up under him, and they'll do whatever he want them to do. So he said, David, he said, I'm going to talk to you about this, man. And he said, I know you're the only one that I can really name and come and talk to because I've been watching you. I've been watching your walk. You are the real deal. You say you You are who you say you are. And he said, man, I just lost my mother. He said, man, I want you to pray for me. And he said, man, and, and, and look, he said, I, I wouldn't go to nobody else. I need you to pray for me. So I prayed with him. He cried. I cried. I hugged him. You understand? He left. And I'm telling you, man, it was one of the best moments I had while I was in prison. And that's how I was with everybody in there, Jake. It didn't matter who you were, what color you was, how old you are. People came to me for counseling. God gave me a, a, a spirit of counsel up in there where I can counsel men that are going through uh, loss of marriage and loss of, of family members. And, you know, I dealt with that. Chaplain Bison was there. He was my chaplain at that particular time. And he was in there. But when he left, I was the representative. I had to deal with all that stuff. Wow, man. What prison were you in, David? Was it maximum security? W yeah, maximum security. W which one was it? Right over here in Cumberland, WCI. Wow, man. Western, yeah, I, I, we opened that. We opened that prison. You know, and what I was, I started at Roxbury, the way I did my first song. And what happened, God moved all those devout, really real Christian guys, you understand, up here to WCI in Cumberland. So when I seen WCI, the first thing I thought was, was Christ inside. <laughs> and, and we went in there, you understand, and we had our first Bible. Let me tell you this, day. We had our first Bible study. It was in the rec room. We had some guests come in and stuff, and I mean, we was having Bible study, and I sung a song, and I said a few words, you know, and I sat down. And at the end of the service, everybody began to leave. The guests, and I mean, were shaking hands and telling the people, and I mean, yeah, uh, we'll see you next time. And, and people started coming up shaking my hand. And I was like, what's wrong? They said, man, we thank you for coming. I said, man, I'm in here with y'all. <laughs> That's great. That is great. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? They thought I was a guest. Wow. So you're there, and, and, and you've been in there. You serve how, how many years? Served 19, 19 years and about 10 months. Okay, so let's just say 20 years. So the, the, the yes, 20 sir. years you're in there, I mean, are you going through appeals? Are you trying to get out to, to, to prove your I innocence? tried, dude. I tried, I tried, and God said no. You know what I mean? He was doing something to me, Jay. He was he was transforming this thug man who thought he ran the city or thought he was running the city and doing things out there. He thought, you know what I mean? He changed he transformed this strength, this 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 non fearing strength of a man, you understand, into something that he can use, a vessel. 
You understand? Those same strengths that I had, you understand? He used them for his glory right now. You understand? Because I don't fear nothing. You understand? I've been through the worst of the worst. You know what I mean? I've been through a 20-year pouring of God. I remember, look, the first time I went in there, and I know who I am, and I know what I can do, and I know what I'm capable of doing. And when I first get in there, I'm already made this commitment down in the bullpen that I told you about. So my first thing, you know, I said, I'm getting on a chair. I'm walking to my first chair, and I'm getting on there, and one big guy came and just bumped me, and just almost knocked, knocked me down, almost knocked me out. And I looked at this joker, and I'm telling you, everything <laughs> in me was about to come out on him. And the officer came down and people on the intercom said, look, it's time to lock in. We got a situation going on. I call it situation, but you know I know how to say it right. But we had a situation going on. So the thing is, they locked us down. So I'm in the cell, you understand, and I'm mad. And I'm contemplating when this cell door come open, I'm going down there and I'm going to take care of this right now because a lot of people heard what was going on. They seen what was going on. And I don't want to be the chump in this place. Right. You know, so so oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in there. I done, I done broke a piece of metal off. I done sharpened. I made a knife. You know what I mean? I done took the lock off the lock or put it in a sock. You understand? I'm going to bust him upside here and stab him all at the same time. That was on my mind. So they get on the intercom. So I'm waiting at the door. So they get on the intercom and say, we're gonna, we, if the situation is a little bit longer, so we're going to have to now I mean, go like 15 more minutes. So everybody, you know what I mean? Uh, so while I was in there for the next 15 minutes, Jay, the Holy Spirit brought to remembrance everything that I promised them down in that bullpen. When I told the Lord that I would follow him, when I told the Lord that I surrender right now, when I told the Lord I'm going to change my ways and I'm not going back down that road I came from. And when this Holy Spirit dealt with me, I dropped to my knees and I, I put my head on my bunk and I cried like a baby because my flesh was warring with the spirit. And so after the Holy Spirit dealt with me so viciously, because he had let me know, you know what I mean, that I can't use you for nothing in this capacity. You're going to have to let go some things. So what I did, I got up, Jay, after I finished bawling like a baby, I got up and I broke the knife in half and flushed it down the toilet. I took the lock, put it back on the lock, and put the sock back in the drawer. And I stood by the door waiting for the electronic doors to come over. And I said, well, whatever happened, going to happen, Lord. I'm going to trust you. So, you know, I hear the doors come open. And my door is the last door to open. So I'm just standing there and my door opened up and guess what? The man is standing in front of my door. The same dude that bumped me, the same dude that called me every name but a child of God said, I apologize to you. Forgive me, brother. And that taught me the biggest lesson. When the word tells us that no weapon, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every word that come up against you in judgment shall be condemned of that 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 came that 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 I reminded of that right there, and 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 when it also talks about ah, man, it's just it just lets me know that that God, now, I mean, we do it His way. There's no consequences, and He was working on as He was working on me, He was working on Him too. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So the you, weapons of our war, the, it, the, that's the this the scripture I love, Jay. This this scripture kept me in there. The weapons of our warfare are not calm, but mighty in God for the pulling down of stronghold, casting out every argument, every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That kept me in there. That kept my flesh in subjection. Like that, that flesh Paul talked about, keeping his flesh in subjection. Just, you know what I mean? Letting that, not letting the flesh do what it wants to do. 
See, we got a spirit working. Greater the heat is in the heat in the world. We got a spirit working inside of us that is great if we use it. Wow, man. I'm, I'm speechless. <laughs> I think this is the first podcast I've ever done where I, I mean, I'm just amazed. I, I just wish that I, I had the capacity that you, you do and that you have and that you did have to be able to look at the good in such a difficult situation. You served 20 years. How is it that you, you shave off 10 years? Is it good for good behavior? Yeah. And so yes, then sir. you, you get out of prison. How old are you when you get, get out of prison? Well, about 50. Oh my gosh. So a good portion of your, the prime of your life is gone. You don't look at it that way. You get out no. of 50, you've got, I mean, I presume that your record, you, you, you have a felony on your record, correct? Mm-hmm. Is it hard to find yeah. a job? I mean, do you get out and go, okay, here's my new lease on life? I, I mean, Let me tell you what, me tell you what happened. When they, when they came to pick me up, because I always told the guys in there, because I preached in there, and I had Bible studies, I had a quartet, I had a, a choir in there, you know what I mean? So I was real busy with the church in there. I've always been busy with the church. So the thing is, you know, what I mean, when I got out the church, the, the guys, you know, what I mean, that that goes in this community that, that that came in, you know, what I mean, to prison ministry and ministered to us as we ministered to them, they seen my gifts, you know, what I mean, and one particular pastor asked me, said, "What are you going to do when you get out?" I said, "Well, I don't want to go back to Egypt, you know, what I mean, that's that's Baltimore. I don't want to go back there." And at that particular time, they didn't have anywhere to put me in Cumberland, you know, they didn't have no men's houses, none of that stuff, so. Uh, Chaplain Bice said, well, we ain't got nowhere to put you at, Dave, you know what I mean? And so I, I was a little downtrodden, downhearted with that 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 uh, conversation. But I went back and I prayed to God. I said, well, God, this is... and let me tell you something, Jay. I tried to get out. I put in everything I could possibly put in to try to get out, and all of them was denied. So I had to come to a point in my life as I got older to tell God this. I said, Lord, if I never get out, I'll serve you. Wow. Right then and there, that was the surrender of all surrender. Because my life was no longer my life. It was his life. He blessed me with it. He gave me another chance with it. And he said, well, do the right thing this time. I was the Jonah. I was the one in the belly of the whale with the seaweed tied around my neck, crying out. And to the point where I said, Lord, it's all about you. And that's when he spit me out. And when he spit me out, the guy came and got me from the church. He said, man, what do you want to do? This is your first time. What do you want to do? I said, this is what I want to do. I want you to find me a place where I can go and get down on my knees and thank God for watching over me all those years without incident. You hear what I'm saying? And without incident, that's a miracle within itself. I never was in a fight. I never was in none of that stuff, Jake. You understand? God had protected me and he used me. He used me as an instrument of his love, joy, and peace in that place. And it affected everybody. It affected, you know what I mean? I made the officer's job more easy. They didn't have to worry about fights on my tear because Brother Dave is on the tear. And if he hears anything going on, he's going to counsel it. So I went down to this place. He found me a place. And it was down in the woods. And it had a little stream. And it was like, you know what I mean? It's just like. God had just, you know what I mean, just picture painted, you know what I mean, a place for me to go. And I went down there, and you heard the birds chirping and the movement of the, the leaves and stuff. And I got down there, and I got on my knees, Jay. And I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for being there with me. 
My family didn't even come in there to see me. They, I think I was the black sheep of the family at that particular time. So it was just me and Jesus. And I just told him, I said, thank you for watching over me. And he took good care of me while I was in there. He showed me the favor that he showed Joseph. And he's showing that right now. He's still showing me that favor. David, you mentioned earlier, I, I think, didn't you say you had kids? Yeah, I got three. I got three daughters. And, I, and when I went in there, they was little, they was babies. You understand? And when I went in there, you understand? I, and this is what I had to do, Jay. And I tell parents this today. Every parent I talk to that's going through it with their kids, I tell them this. Entrust those kids back into Jesus' hands. I had to entrust my girls. I told them this. I said, look, Lord. I said, I got three beautiful girls out there. I said, I can't be with them. You understand? But I need you to do this for me. I need you to protect them and provide for them. I need you to watch over them when they get hurt. I, want, I need you to, to dry their tears. You know what I mean? And I just had a serious conversation with God at that particular time. Now I look back and I pray for my kids every day, Jay, every day. And I still do today. 35 years of praying for my kids. Now I'm praying for my grandkids too. You know, the same way that I pray for my kids. Now my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's a, a police officer working for the commission in Baltimore City. I got a, my middle daughter, she's a registered nurse now. I've been working at the big hospital in Baltimore City. And my youngest daughter, she's a, a medical technologist, you know what I mean, working in one of the big uh, hospitals. That, and all of them care about people. The same way their father cares about people and loves people. God just let it trickle down right to my children. Are you st- are you close with them? I mean, I would imagine yeah. it may have been difficult since you weren't able to be there. Have y'all- yeah, you know, it's... And, and, you know, and when I got out, I had to explain to him that I have to get myself together. You understand? I don't want to have to depend on people to take care of me. I'm going to have to get out here and do what I have to do to get on my feet. And it's going to take time. I want to see y'all. I'm going to come to see y'all. But it's going to take time. You understand? Because I've been gone for 20 years. And it's, I got to start all over. I came out with zero credit. Were you able to find a job? I mean, was that hard? I would imagine with the felony on your record, that may have been difficult. I've heard a lot of inmates say that one of the hardest things was getting out because when they got out, it was a new world and a world that had moved on without them. And it was not only a difficult time of adjustment, but even providing a living. Let me tell you something, Jay. When you line up with God and his will, when you do the thing that God has called you to do and you're faithful in times of the storms, you understand? Well, you're not grumbling and complaining. One of the things Chaplain Bites, they said, I've never heard you grumbling and complain about being here and I mean, for something you didn't do. You know what I mean? Because that's between me and God. And most people wouldn't believe it anyway. You understand? But the thing is, God and I mean, showed me so much favor when I got out, Jay. You understand? They had a place for me. They said, well, we got a place for you now, Dave. And they, they had a place. And they said, we got an apartment, you know what I mean, for you. And I'm thinking I'm going to go in this little apartment thing. I get out, they got me a house. That was the first favor, you know what I mean? Then when I got out, you know, I walked the street. I didn't have any vehicle and stuff. I tried to get a vehicle. I had saved a few dollars up, and I was trying to get a vehicle, but I had no credit, so I couldn't get no vehicle at that particular time. So I went to one of the one of the uh, one of the greatest guys that I met in one of the, in the place here. Uh, we we talked about it another time, but the thing is, uh, I got a car. And I began to, I mean, and I got a job. I mean, this is my first job when I got out of prison. See, I, I didn't care what kind of job I had. I just wanted a job. Because right. if I can work in there for a dollar and 30 cent or a dollar and 10 cent a day, you understand, I can come out here and work a five, six, seven dollars an hour. You know what I mean? So it didn't make no difference what kind of job I got. So I got a job, you know what I mean? And my first job was working for this guy who fixed organs. 
And he went around all the big churches fixing these big pipe organs, and I was helping him do that. That was my first job. And then I went from that job, I went to the, I went to the Goodwill, and I started working with the Goodwill. And one day I was in there, and they, they had a contract with Barry, Barry's Plastic up in Mexico Farms and Comes in Maryland. So I went there, and they said, well, we want to go over here and work with them. And, and my job was putting handles on buckets, you know what I mean, for Barry's Plastic. And I got so good at putting hand, hand, handles on buckets that I can close my eyes and fall asleep and, and still do it. Uh, so they recognized, I mean, this man is fast with that. So they said, you want to go to a job fair? Hunter Douglas holding a job fair. So I said, yeah, I want to go to that. You know what I mean? I, I really, you know what I mean, want to go to that. I heard they got, that's a good place, you know what I mean, to, to get a good uh, start of living. So I went there, you know, and I, I told the man this, my, my interview. I said, look, I'll work for you a whole week for free. And if you don't like my work, you ain't even got to call me no more. You ain't even got to even worry about me no more. He said, man, I ain't never heard nobody say that. You're hired. They didn't hold it against you that you, you had a... No. No, not at all. And, and See, God, what, what is Hunter what, Douglas, by the way? What what kind of company is Hunter that? Hunter Douglas is one of the biggest blinds. They, they sell blinds and expensive blinds. And you've been working there how long now? Oh, close to 10 years now. So and they're about to shut down. They're about to shut down and come to Maryland. And how long have you actually been out of prison? How, how long has that been? Uh, about 10 years. About 10 years. So what are you going to do? I mean, obviously, I know you just enough. I say I, I know you well enough to know that you're not worried about them shutting down. I mean. I- <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm really not. See, God blessed me. You know what I mean? He, 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 he touched. I used to, when I first got out, God told me this. He said, I want you to march and make these people aware of the heroin situation that is about to come abroad. So I was like, I was like a Moses at that particular time. I was like, Lord, I don't know anything about marching, but I remember one time in a vision that he gave me when I was in prison that I went to back to Baltimore city and I had a march from East Baltimore all the way to West Baltimore. And I had so many people following me, you know what I mean? And we're marching, you know what I mean? Whatever we was marching, what, I don't know what it was. We was marching, but we was marching and I came up out of that. So I remembered he gave me that vision. So what I did, he gave me the ability to, 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 get this march together. So I went out and the first thing he told me to do, he said, I want you to get all the pastors together. So here I am, a man, you know what I mean? I mean, they, who knows me for me to do this? So I just started reaching out for my first pastor that because I was going to Calvary Baptist at that particular time. So I reached and told him about it and he got some more pastors together. And I, about that time, I had about 14 different pastors. I didn't care. He told me not to worry about the denomination and none of that stuff. He said, I just want you to, I mean, get together and show some love. I want them to support this community the way we're supposed to support this community. Come out from them churches and get out there on them streets. So we got out there, you know what I mean, and uh, set up a, a march. And I had people marching from all four corners of Cumberland, Maryland, south, north, east, and west. They were coming from everywhere, and they was current signs and hope against heroin. That's the, that, that's, that was, I was the CEO of that, you know, and I started that. I was, uh, and I had people marching, and we marched all the way down to Canal Place where we had uh, uh, bouncy houses and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, food, free food. And, you know what I mean? I had people singing and people giving testimonies. And it was just awesome, Jay, you know what I mean? And I didn't have to pay for anything. God set it up for me. He, he, he showed me if I move, I'll move for you. If you're faith, he showed me that I mean, that just being faithful, you know what I mean? I want you to be faithful to with this. Now, I mean, and don't settle for just the little things that I bless you with, because I want to bless you with so much more. So many people settle. 
I'm not settling, Jay. I want to know what else can you do for me, Lord? I've been faithful to you, and I'm going to continue to be faithful to you no matter what happens in my life. Well, I'm surrendered. And, and you mentioned when we were in Maryland last week, David, that, and I can't recall, you know, there's so many folks there, either you have just started a ministry or you're about to launch a new ministry. Tell us a little bit about that, because I, I honestly, I don't recall. Okay, well, I, I did the marches for three years, and then I was about to do another march, and God said, no, you didn't march enough. You didn't made people away, and now you got to go to a different level. So I was talking to one of the guys who went out to a march with me. His name is Mr. Ed Jones. He, he went to the few marches with me. He was amazed that, you know what I mean, the, the support and how many people were being touched by the, these marches. So he said, what, is you, you want, what, else you, what, what kind of ministry do you want? And I told him, I said, Ed, I just want a ministry, man, where I can just, you know what I mean, just give to people and help people in any kind of way I can. So he said, man, maybe I can help you with a building. So he, he, he's with the Catholic Church. So he, he, now he, came, he got me this three-story. Three they took me down to a few buildings, and I was like, I don't like that. And I was like, he said, look, how about this in my hand? He gave him, it was a three-story three building, uh, built in 1896. An awesome building on the inside. And he said, this is where you can let me start your ministry. No cost. Just do what you do. And I've been down there for four years. The free indeed ministries. That's what I call it. God, God. I said, Lord, he who you set free is free indeed. And I'm living proof of that. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I named it free indeed ministries. So now free indeed ministry has been running for like four years. I didn't want the support of the state because I ain't got nothing against state, but I'm just saying I want to run this the way God wants me to run this. You understand? I don't want to to have people tell me who to help, not to whom. I want to run this the way God wants to run this. You understand? The way Jesus meant it. Yes, that's what I I want. I I get that, not wanting the government involved. And what actually does Free Indeed Ministries do, David, for our listeners? I mean, I I remember you telling me a little bit about it, but our, our listeners may want to know and might even want to support that. Well, you know, first and foremost, I, I try to deal with the addicted, you understand? Those who are addicted, you know what I mean? Because I've been there and God delivered me from that. So I, I reach out to them, you understand? And, and all the homeless, you know what I mean? Those people, I, I do an outreach every month and I feed, I give them, you know what I mean, food. And sometimes I give them laundry supplies and I come up with different ideas to bring them in, you know what I mean? And, and I tell, you know what I mean? A lot of people this, you know what I mean? When you give, you know what I mean? You give from the heart. You might be giving them something right now, but what you're really doing, you're opening up a door to Jesus. You're allowing them to see, because now I've been giving this food away for four years, close to four years now. You know, And these people, they used to just come and I used to ask, can I pray for you? And some turn me down and say, no, you know what I mean? But I continue to be consistent because that's my favorite word, being consistent. You understand? So, you know what I mean? When they come now, everybody wants prayer. So you guys not only give away food and, and necessities, but... I mean, the gospel is a huge part of this ministry as well. It's not oh, just yeah, you're thanks. meeting a physical need. You're meeting a spiritual need as well. Yes, sir. That's my main objective. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how you bring this. Because when I was in prison, they just said, Dave, we just come to hear you sing. And all the guys would come to the prison and I'm in, into the church to, sit, to hear me sing. But the thing is, I said, yeah, I'm, you come to church to sing, but you're going to get that word too. Yeah. That, that word is the main objective. Definitely- I don't care how you got to bring them there. Just bring them there. Sure. Are you guys actually incorporated yet? Are y'all a nonprofit? Yes, 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 so it's nonprofit. If one of our, if some of our listeners want to support you, how could they go about getting resources to you? What What's the best way for them to do that? Well, I got a website at fi ministries. F as in Frank, I as yes. in Ingrid. Okay, fi ministries dot com. Yes, 
FIMinistry.com. We got a PayPal button on there. If you want to donate to the Free Indeed Ministries, please, we need your help. Uh, also, you know what I mean? You can, if you want to mail a money order or check, you can mail it to Free Indeed Ministries, P.O. Box 1892, Cumberland, Maryland, 21501. I want to encourage our listeners today to support not only David, but his ministry. I don't know about our listeners today. I'm just amazed. I can honestly say of all the podcasts I've done, this has got to be one of my favorites. It's just such an incredible story of a road of such devastation to such redemption. And I love the fact that not only is David's ministry meeting a physical need, which we see Jesus doing this in the New Testament over and over. We see him feeding the 5,000. We see him healing people. But at yeah. the end of the day, as important that, as that is, and it's great to help people financially. It's great to help people physically. But yeah. if you don't ultimately help heal them spiritually, it's a Band-Aid yeah. over a gaping wound. And David is doing yeah. both. Now, David, we're about to run out of time on today's podcast, yeah. but there's a, a few things that, that I just want to kind of bring to a close here. One thing that you said earlier um, that really resonated with me, and, and I believe you meant it, in spite of the fact that you were found guilty of a crime you didn't commit, you made this statement on the podcast today. You said, I wouldn't change a thing. Do you really mean that? Really mean. I, I mean, really in spite mean. of the fact of losing what many would consider the prime of your life and getting out, I can't remember what you said, 50-something, but you would still go through everything you went through in order to be where you are today. To be the man I am, Jay? Yes. I love the man I am. I love the freedom that Christ has given me and the freedom to just help and bless others. You know what I mean? That's that's the most important thing with me. And I just told him, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not even joking about none of that. You understand? He is my my all. You understand? And he's gave me, he given me another chance on life. And I ran with it. That's one of the bosses, Hunter Douglas, said, said, man, when you came in here, he said, many had doubts about you. But you took that baton and you ran. I done broke every record at Hunter Douglas. You understand? And I'm, and they, 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 they loved me so much at Hunter Douglas that they gave me a part-time job to just to me to go out here and work the Free Indeed Ministries for two days. I've been working the Free Indeed Ministries for two days. You know, I want full ministry. That's what I want, Jay. This is my this is my desire to be a full-time ministry for the Free Indeed Ministries. I know a lot of people I can help. You know, what I mean, and I'm not helping because I, you know, what I mean, was working at. Now my job is about to shut down. So what do I do? I'm trusting in God that I may have a full time asking that somebody, you know, in the kingdom of God will now may believe my story and want to be a part of my story to help me to get where God wants me to be. I can say this. Not only do I encourage our listeners to support you, but David, you have my word today that I also am going to send a check to you. A matter of fact, to our listeners, if you feel compelled to help out David and Free Indeed Ministries, as I am personally going to do, you can either send a check. He gave the P.O. box and he gave the website. If you prefer, you can send that money to Harvest Ministries and make sure that you write in care of Free Indeed Ministries. And what I'm going to do is, is I will wait for about two weeks after this podcast is posted. And then, David, if anybody does select to send the the money through us, I will send two weeks after this podcast is posted any money that we get for you as well as a check from us. Last of all, as we're running out of time, the other thing that I want to highlight that you said, 
And normally when we get to the end of these podcasts, I, I try to take the story and give an application because I know that there are people who listen to us. We have people that are in their latter years in life. We have middle-aged people. We have young people. We have every race, color, creed. Uh, literally, it's a smorgasbord, a gumbo of different kind of people mm. from different walks of life. And yeah. I, I know that some people, as I said earlier, have never been in a actual prison, but they're in their own prison. And their prison mm-hmm. to them is just as real, a prison of pain, a prison of isolation, a prison of torment. And they're yeah. locked up in their own ways. But something else that you said, and I, I wrote it down, and I've got a huge star bite. had such a, man, it just it just so moved me. And, and this is the way I want to close out the podcast today. Because I think this is the crux, David, of not only your life, but I think it's the crux of where people who are listening today, that they need to be. And I, I believe this with all my heart. I, I really do. This is the statement you made. You had done everything you could, and I presume that's appeals and hiring lawyers and everything else, to get out of prison. And one day you said this, no matter what, if I never leave this prison, I will serve you. And David, what you were really saying is, is what God wants every one of us to say. And in in essence, what you were saying is this, I surrender all. God, if if you don't change my finances, if my health doesn't get better, if my husband still leaves, if I still fight this addiction, if I never leave prison, God, I'm going to stand by you, hell or high water. It's like what Peter said when Jesus said to the disciples, are you also going to leave me? And Peter said, where else would I go? I burned every other bridge. Everything that you said today, and I mean, David, I'm telling you, this podcast is just, man, it's all I can do to hold it together on my end. I really really believe, honestly, that, that statement that you made, that when you got to that place of ultimate surrender, when you said, God, if, if this is my lot in life, if, if this is the place that you're going to keep me, there is, is no conditions. It's not, well, God, I'll serve you if you'll fix that. It's not, God, I will serve you if you will heal this. It's, God, no matter what happens, I have staked my claim with you, and I am going to follow you no matter what. And I want to Amen. tell you, David, man, I, I love you for that. I respect you for that. And I'll just be honest and say that there are areas in my life right now that I've not said that about that I do. We're out of time today. Wow, what a podcast. David, man, I love you, buddy. I love you. you, Man, Uh, man, I love your heart. I I believe, I, I don't have any doubt that when I was preaching that night and for some reason I happened to walk down that aisle that you were on, and just happened to reach down, not knowing you from Adam, having never seen you in my life, and grabbing yeah. your Bible was providential, and it was a way for God to connect us. And this isn't the last time that you and I Amen. are going to do ministry together. Amen. So, brother, I look forward to it. Folks, thanks for joining us this week for Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I hope it has blessed you the way it has blessed me. We'll see you next time.